Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Our final guest of this season is the Emmy Award winning George Harrison tribute artist, Gavin Pring. Originally from Liverpool, the musician now lives in America, where he has a huge list of Beatles-related accomplishments to his name. Gavin performed as George six nights a week on the Las Vegas Strip for over a decade, won an Emmy with his bandmates for the Fab Four's 2012 PBS television special, and even performed on the same stage as Paul McCartney during a tribute show held in George Harrison's honour. He joins us here in Liverpool, where he has been performing during the annual Beatle Week Festival. I'm Laura Davis. And I'm Ellen Kerwin, and this is Beatle City. So Ellen, what was it like meeting a real-life George Harrison tribute act? Well, the funny thing about Gavin is, is obviously first and foremost, he is a scouser and he's a Liverpool musician and he never in his life thought he was going to end up playing George as a tribute act. But it just so happened to come about because he really, really looks like George. And when he was younger, that's all he got from his friends, from his family, from his girlfriends. And that's sort of how he fell into the role. So... Yeah, he looks like George. Does he act like George? I can't really say he acts like George at all, to be honest. But what was nice, as he said, he did pick up some, you know, subliminally, some of George's characteristics almost. You know, he said he did have that moment, you know, standing in the mirror with a tennis racket. He joked about that. He'd copy his mannerisms and things like that. But he said just over time, it's just something that he ended up picking up naturally. And Gavin was here in Liverpool for Beetle Week. So what was he doing during the festival? So Gavin was here as part of the Fab Four and performing for Beatle Week, which he said was really emotional for him. It was like a nice sort of homecoming and it was the first time his mum had ever actually seen him play, which is like a really lovely thing. He said he teared up quite a bit. But he said also he was here not just for Beatle Week as a job, but also to really get back to grips with Liverpool. He said he enjoyed going to the pub and just being able to socialise. So this for him was as much, you know, a personal little trip than it was a work trip. If you think of the movie Planes, Trains and Automobiles, that's my life. I'm, just, I'm like the shower curtain guy in that, in that movie and I just travel from city to city every week, you know, different states and that. So, But it's, it's great to play the Beatles. Again, I, I didn't think I was going to do this for a living, but I'm quite happy. So at what point did you recognise that this is what you wanted to do? You wanted to do the sort of tribute act? Um, it was something that came about by accident. Um, years ago, when I worked for Customs and Excise on the Queen's Dock. And uh, a girlfriend of mine said, uh, well, it was a news, actually, it was, I think it was in the Liverpool Echo. <laughs> Ironically enough, it said, do you look like a Beatle? And then inverted commas, or oh, do people say you do? And uh, Rogue Best, who's Pete Best's brother, was putting together a documentary. And my girlfriend at the time put me forward for it uh, because everyone said, look, I look like George. And I went down there and I met the guys and uh, I got the part. And then from there, I uh, joined a, uh, a group around the corner at Beatty's when, before the From Me To You shop was there. Uh, I used to play there on a Thursday night and 
it just went from there, really. I ended up in the States in 2002 and on Las Vegas Strip in 2004. So uh, it went pretty quick, actually, to be honest. I started in 99, so, yeah, five years. And uh, the weather, slightly better in Vegas, do you know what I mean? But you, you, you lose a lot of money. Do you know what I mean? When I went out for chips, it wasn't like fish and chips. It's like the chips that are, you know, $20, $25 chips, and I was losing them. But, uh, yeah, it's been great. So before you, you know, by chance, as you say, got into doing the George Harrison thing, did you perform? Did you like music? Yeah, I used to have original original music, and uh, we were here. The lead singer of the Christians was our manager, Gary Christian. And uh, we used to, yeah, we had a group, and uh, we used to go around with a band called, uh, we used to support a band called Tramp Attack, who became the Zuzons. So a lot of the guys that we played with, that I played with in, like, the late 90s, early 2000s have uh, gone on to be quite famous and I'm, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of everyone. But were you, a fa- were you a fan or were you just, you know, like you were saying before, just another Liverpool person who didn't count yourself as a tourist, but you knew, you know, you know, like, you like them or were you a fanatic? Um, I wasn't a fanatic. I just, um, when I was younger and I got told look, I look like George by some kids in school, um, I started to listen to them a little bit. A girl had a pencil case with the Beatles on. That was the first time I kind of went, what, who are they? Uh, and then everyone tried to beat me to shame because I should have known by then who the Beatles were. But uh, I listened to the White Album after, you know, kind of piqued my interest. And I, I just think from then, when I was 16 or whatever, uh, I listened to the White Album on a cassette until the, the batteries ran out. And uh, it kept going backwards and forwards. And I was just hooked to the Beatles from then forwards. I didn't think I was going to do it as a living. Yeah, well, when it comes to what you are doing for a living, it doesn't get as good as winning an Emmy. Winning an Emmy Awards, wow. So you tell me, how how on earth did that come about and what was it like? Well, actually, to, to let you in just before then, we actually were playing in Vegas and there was a there was a rift between two companies and a company split into two. We kind of like left Vegas and we just started traveling around. But we, we built up a little bit of money and put it towards a PBS special in 2012. We got an, an award for it. We got an Emmy Award. So we're the only tribute act to anyone that got an Emmy Award. And that opened the floodgates and now we have three teams. Uh, traveling around the states, uh, three Johns, three Pauls. You can't, it's weird if you get them all in the same room at the same time. It's, kind of, you know, it's like it's a little bit like a alternate universe or something, Twilight Zone. But um, yeah, I'm, I, again, I keep saying proud, I'm proud of uh, the company. And you know, a lot of people have been attracted to the company now. We we work with uh, Jim Caviezel, who's an actor out there. He loves the the band Carrie Elways. Tom Hanks has come to see. We played Tom Hanks, played Dave Grohl's wedding, uh, played a lot of stuff now because we've been. Uh, you know, uh, people are on people's minds, like, oh, yeah, the, I think of a tribute act, the Fab Four. Oh, yeah, the Fab Four. So I'll, I'll get them. And, you know, inside you meet these people, you're dead excited to meet them. You might have seen them in a movie or listen to a record, but outside you're like, all right, <laughs> <laughs> you want to play it down as much as possible. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, I've, I've had some good experiences. And the Beatles are that passport to get into places. Do you know what I mean? We just happen to be really good at performing and playing like the Beatles. Well, speaking of some of the famous people you've just spoke about then, who is probably the like the most one you've ever been starstruck by? Um, it was good to see Kate Beckinsale. She's a good-looking girl. <laughs> um, I think for me, um, I got starstruck when I saw... Uh, we did the movie, for the Yellow Submarine movie, so I was a little starstruck when I met Robert Zemeckis because he was our... He, you know, he was... Uh, producing and directing it. So it was, it was weird to be directed by him and, and you know, growing up with uh, his movies back in, uh, was it, Back to the Future? 
and then meeting him. I was a little starstruck, but he was dead nice. And then he said Scouser wrong, so I was all like, he says he says Scouser, like <laughs> with a Z. And uh, I was like, okay, cool. So I didn't want to correct him, though. Yeah. I just let it go. Just stay quiet, Gavin. Don't tell him it's Scouser. And, uh, yeah, it was it was quite nice meeting him. And Peter said of Fenwick's, another Scouser, was, uh, was playing Paul McCartney, uh, the acting side of it. So we did the music side. And then Peter Serafinowix and Carrie Elway's all English people too, but uh, Peter Serafinowix is a fellow Scouser, Scouser, um, and uh, he was in, he was there as well. So and when we met Danny Harrison and Olivia Harrison came to the film, and so I got to meet them. So um, yeah, I think that whole day, to be honest with you, I was just starstruck. I think it was one day of meeting a lot of people at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and you've actually performed with Paul as well, haven't you? Is that right? What was that like? What was it like? It was like a dream. It's like playing with Beethoven or something. Um, he came. I, uh, no one was expecting him to be there. He was quite clever because on the actual tribute to George, which was about 10 months before the concert for George that he did down in the Royal Albert Hall, they played at the Empire Theatre and um, he came in. But what he'd said to the organisers is, if you advertise I'm coming, I won't come. And I was like, that's a bit weird, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It's like, you, you know, you'd want everyone to come. But what he'd done was he wanted the house to be full of George fans. He didn't want to advertise that he was going and fill the house with Paul fans. So, you know, 36, I think that was 3,600-seater theatre was full of mainly George fans. And then Paul came as like a fan to George as well. He didn't come in to play. He just he just sung yesterday a cappella and... And it was just, you could hear a pin drop, you know, just someone noted an F on the keyboard for him. He's went, yesterday, you know, started singing. And I was, it was just, it was a great night, you know, so. And he he says to me, actually, it's funny, he goes, uh, I never wanted to meet Paul dressed as a Beatle. I wanted to meet him stuck in an airport in, like, you know, California or something and be like, oh, I'm from Liverpool too, but not tell him what I did. Yeah. I wanted to meet him like that, but I met him and I was dressed as, as George and uh, the manager at the time goes, yeah, this is Gavin, he plays George Harrison. He goes, um, you look a bit like George actually. And I said, you look a little bit like Paul. <laughs> so <laughs> so is that what you, you get the most? And Or do you think people see your mannerisms, see the way you perform? What- For me, um, I think... You know, I talk to people on planes all the time, and when I tell them, I'm, you know, that I start talking, they say, you sound like a beetle. That's the first thing. And then they say, you kind of look like a beetle. And then they say, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, you won't believe what I do for a living. <laughs> you know, I have to tell them what I do. I'm a beetle. But, um, yeah, it started off because I looked like him a little bit, I suppose. And um, and then I started to listen to the songs and try to uh, watch the anthology a lot. And I think it's just off stage, yeah, the Americans might be like, he's kind of like George. But once we go on stage and the show starts, you know, and you have the wigs. I, I have blue eyes, but George has brown eyes. And I put contact lenses in for the, that's as detail-orientated as we are. And uh, once that happens and you've got the boots and the suits and the guitars and you start talking like that, and, you, you know, once that happens, the illusions. There. So it's like Disneyland for adults, I think, you know, the baby boomers. And I think... Once it's all, when it all comes together, and that's a bad pun. When it comes together, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful, well-oiled machine. Looks like looks and sounds like the Beatles, you know. So do you find yourself as a bit of an actor, really, because that is kind of what you're doing, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a bit of a bit of all. You've got to be able to play. You've got to be able to entertain. You've got to be able to, you know, resemble or at least put makeup on to look as close as you can to the character. And then outside of that, it's not just playing songs. A show is not just. Play song, 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 song. It's not that. And I, re- I realised that in Vegas. When I was there, there's always a tender moment. It's uh, You've got to be taken on a ride. So any movie's the same. You know, you have this equilibrium or whatever. And then there's a, you know, a disruption to that. And then there's a restoration. Everything kind of like does the same thing. But 
in 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 shows in Vegas, you know, if you go and see any of them, there's always that little moment. They're all, you know, at the beginning, yeah, everyone's singing and stuff. And then there's that moment where they pick up an acoustic guitar and they say, listen, you know, uh, my grandfather died and I didn't have a chance to see him. And, uh, you know, for anyone out there that has a grandfather, which is most people, um, and then they say this one's dedicated to, to you and everyone can relate to the loss and that's that moment. And then after that, it goes up again. But that's what you remember. You remember moments from a show, not songs. You don't remember, oh, do you remember that? Song. You might remember a little bit like they played the song Alight, but that's not what keeps you going to a show. It's it's a moment that you connect with, and we're really good at making those moments happen, you know. And I think when we came, the first time we came here a couple of years ago, I get, we got criticised because it was too cheesy. It was too Vegasy, and now we have two Brits in the band. Adam Hastings, who used to be in the Bootleg Beatles, is now with us over in America. So very wisely the other americans said you know what we'll let gavin and adam uh write the show a little bit so we just cut back on a bit of the cheese factor yeah and i think we've got the a great kind of balanced show for audiences in england and obviously audiences in america so you know i think it's it's a good marriage you know so you were saying before there's maybe two or three of you know sort of each beat oh what what is it with george is it just yourself or is are there other yeah there's two other georges yeah, yeah. Do you fight for the best gigs then? Well, how does that uh, work? <laughs> well, I'm a partner in a corporation, so I get all the A gigs, I suppose. But now I've been trying to let the other guys come in. Uh, they usually play with other bands when they're not playing with us. But we need to keep them up to scratch with our show, you know. So um, I usually, I've taken time off this week. They're going to be in Indiana. They're in Alaska the end of next weekend. And they were like, do you want to do that? And I was like, no, I'm going to stay at home. My mum's making me bacon butties every day. I'm going to, you know, get back to being a scouser a little bit. So I, I, you know, the other guys are going to be playing there. There's no real competition between me and the Georges because it's, it's basically my gig. Um, as far as George goes, but I try to give them, uh, between the other two, at least 50% of the shows for the year, you know, so that they can, I mean, one of the guys is real young and he lives in Vegas and he's, he's about 19, 20 years of age. His name's Robbie Berg. Just amazing. But you have to bring him in. Otherwise he'll be taken, you know, for, from other, co for other companies. Like, so we have to keep work going with the guys, but it's not like we're sitting around having food fights. Cause I'm the best George. I just am now picturing <laughs> <laughs> with my comical mind, just like two Johns getting into it. Oh, I'm the best John. Imagine as they strangle each other. <laughs> um, no, it's not like that. We really, we very rarely see our character because we're on the road. So I will, I'll see the other Johns and Pauls. But I won't see the other George because I'll be off the road while they play. So I never get a chance to really hang out with them, you know. And so do you, do you see yourself as a bit of a George? If what would, would In what he, way? Like he's gorgeous and good looking. <laughs> well, that but also just his personality. Like would would we just you know what they say? Sometimes they say their owners end up being a bit like the dog. Oh, so yeah. yeah. You know what <laughs> do, do you think you can see yourself being a bit of a George? Like George is the master and I'm a little mutt underneath with a Georgie face. Um I think I've adopted Maybe there's some transference between his songs to me because I've had to learn them, yeah. which has made me see George in a different perspective. And I think that's what happens when people become tribute artists. Maybe there's something there that's similar. And then when you get delve into the music and you delve into the life that you kind of have more respect and, and your life is now altered as well by delving into it, you know. So I had a lot of things earlier on that I did naturally and big, massive George fans would say, well, they weren't massive, they were only like five foot two or whatever. Um, but they'd come up and be like, oh, are you doing that because George did it? For example, I'd be in the, when I played at Beatty's, I would be tuning the guitars for the others because the others didn't care. They wanted to chat up girls and I wanted us to sound good, so sometimes we'd be out of tune. So I would tune up the Rickenbackers and uh, try and tune up the Hofner as well as my own guitar. And 
some big George fans came up to me, do you do that because George did that in the Cavern Club? And I was like, I didn't even know he did it in the Cavern Club. You know, so there's some <clears throat> maybe natural re- relatives between us, but um, I think, yeah, once I've delved into, you know, George did handmade films. We would never have seen Life of Brian if it wasn't for George Harrison. We'd never have seen, uh, you know, um, Monty Python, The Holy Grail. Shanghai Surprise, which is a terrible movie. Don't watch it. Well, watch it if you like bad B-movies because it's really terrible and cheesy like our show used to be. But George, yeah, he's just a spiritual guy. He loved to watch the plants grow. He loved F1 race and I haven't got into that yet. Um, and I'm terrible with gardening too, so there's some stuff I'm not like with him. Do you know what I mean? But uh, I think writing songs and stuff, I am similar to, to him. I found a lot of the polls do adopt that kind of like I'm the MC personality and a lot of the Johns are like, oh, everyone do something for me type thing. So I don't know I don't know how that relation works between their characters, but all the Georges seem to be mellow and have a dry sense of humour and, and they're quick-witted. So if, if that's anything like George and I do him proud, I'm quite happy. So would you say it, it was sort of an act of research on him? Did you ever research him, or do you think it was something that naturally happened as you w- wanted to get better in the job? I think it, I think it just became a thing where I didn't see the others when I watched movies or whatever. I watched. Uh, I think I, I delved into it as much as I could uh, with my limited acting skills at the time. I was just open to learn. That's it. You know, it's like the movie Yes Man. Um, a lot of people put themselves in the way of being successful. They'll be like. You know, oh, I can't do that, I can't do this. And and your best chance is just to go, yeah, come on then. You'll find all, all people listening, just for one week, just say yes to everything. You might be in a weird, you might find yourself wake, waking up in a bush, um, just asleep in the middle of a roundabout. Um, but you will have had a great week because you haven't put yourself in the way of, of your success, you know what I mean? So that's I, I was never an actor, but I ended up being kind of an actor, musician, just from not resi- resistant opportunity when it came and, and working hard. And so looking at George... As I say, going back to the question, uh, I, I, the others just filtered out a little bit and I just kind of watched him and then I, I mimicked his moves a little bit. Yeah, there was loads of times I was in my boxer shorts, you know, like in front of a mirror with a with a, a, a you know a racket of some sort pretending to be George. But it all paid off, you know. It's, you, there's nothing you do by accident, you know. Everything's like a, a finely woven... You look, you look around, sometimes your life's hectic, but when you look back, it was like it was meant to be a finely woven scarf or whatever. So what was it like when you obviously... You didn't ever see this in your future. You used to just do your own music. What was that transition like? So going from, you know, your own music, doing your own thing to all of a sudden being in the Beatles. What was it like working with the other three? It was it was it was difficult to begin for me because to go from original music uh, and playing and we had kind of a not a great following, but you know, we were we were we were on that little wave. All the other bands were starting to come back in. I think we just missed time to you know, Oasis were out in like the early nineties. And then it kind of like petered out a little bit. And then it came back in the early 2000s. And by then it'd gone. So when I came in, just playing musically, I'd, I'd made a lot of... Because uh, I didn't get any lessons, uh, I didn't hold the guitar right. And I had to relearn to hold the guitar to play like George. It was just little painful things like that I had to go through from playing, you know, in your mum's bedroom or whatever, and then playing out your songs. No one can tell you how to do your song, do you know what I mean? So... You didn't make really any mistakes. It was just whether people liked it or not. And uh, but now to go from that, where you've got that kind of freedom, to playing the Beatles like the record, and it's unforgiving. You know, it's like that's not the right solo that George did to "Can't Buy Me Love." Now you have to play when the needle. That's the way we look at it. When the needle hit the vinyl, years ago before iPads and stuff, it, when it hit the needle, we have to do that exact 
every harmony, every mistake. We make we do the mistakes that the Beatles made, and uh, a lot of the purists will be like, "Oh yeah, there's a mistake on all my loving where Ringo plays too many snare hits. He's supposed to go doom ba doom ba, but he goes ba 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 doom ba. So he just he, he hit the snare too many times, and now our Ringo has to learn." the mistakes and I, it was very difficult for me I suppose at the beginning to go from being loose to like no 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 you have to do that exact does it become second nature to you doing those mistakes making sure it's or do you still find yourself sometimes being like oh no that's not how Ringo or oh, that's not how George would do it yeah we we give ourselves a little bit too we the Fab Four never come off stage and high five each other it's never happened in history you know in 20 over 20 years of the Fab Four the best uh, compliment you can get from the other guys is is nothing the silence, you know, you did okay, you know what I mean? But you kind of beat yourself up a little bit, like if you didn't quite, as you, you know, you were in a rehearsal room for, for a week and a half. Yeah. And you're doing, we did the Abbey Roads album at the Pacific Amphitheatre in August. It was, uh, you know, nearly 9,000 people have sold out. Uh, but you're playing an exact album. It's got to go from come together, all the bits, all the way through to the end. You know, I made a few mistakes live, do you know what I mean? But no one noticed because they loved the show. But like, I beat myself up. Oh yeah, I came in. Uh, Sun King, Gardy. Made a terrible, the first note of Sun King, he looked, it sounded like someone falling down a well. He hit the wrong note and it was just like, ah! But it wasn't <laughs> like if someone falls down a well, the noise usually dissipates as they fall. But this is like someone falling with the microphone, like all the way down. Just like the way, and he was the hottest on, uh, in the microphones too. So he was like, he was real loud and he just, it just sounded like someone got shot or something. And it went on for eight, what seemed like hours. So. Uh, luckily, he overshadowed all of my mistakes in <laughs> the rest of the show, you know, just watching him. So he got a lot of stick for that, yeah. Have you got a favourite gig? Like, there's, there's always going to be one time you've performed or one specific moment, one specific place where you're going to think, that's, that's it, tops the rest. Yeah, there's many. Uh, the most recent was uh, at the Grand Central Hall this weekend. I realised my mum had never seen me play. Wow. Like, and, I, and she came to the show, you know, being in America for a long time. And I went over and I I, I played something. There's a funny just little thing for you. My stepdad told me when he was when he was younger and his first you know his first girlfriend had split up with him and he was all heartbroken that he sat in the dark listening to the solo of something, crying his eyes out. So I was like, they, we put the set list together. And I was like, I've got to put something in there just to see if he starts if the all the memories come back. Uh, he didn't cry. Uh, the problem was I nearly cried because I did the last riff. And went, do, 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 do. And as I played the last note, I looked up, my mum was there and she looked, uh, she was looking at me and I was like, I'm going to lose her. Like I, I knew me, the tears were coming. I was like, um, so I looked back, I was like, oh, I need to press this button right now. But I didn't really need to. I was just, <laughs> I need to press this button. Oh yeah, okay, just to compose myself before the next song. Otherwise, you know, I maybe should, one of my mates said, you should just let it go. And people would have been like, look, he loves George so much. He's just crying his eyes out. It should have, it could have trended. People being like, oh, dead excited about it. But there's many moments through the history of uh, playing songs, uh, even going back to original stuff that just have that moment where it just clicks into place and you just go, you know, uh, sometimes you, you can't control the emotion, you know. Uh, yeah, the audiences definitely can't. I, I played uh, The Night My Granddad Died uh, over here. I couldn't get over because it was so sudden. Uh, I was going through my green card and I couldn't get back over to uh, to the funeral. So I played that night. I was playing the night of the funeral here. I was playing Imagine and I do the strings, but like it was, it took everything not to let, you know. So I remember moments like that, you know, um, trying to hold back the tears really uh, in, in stuff. But, you know, um, you make people, thousands of people happy. They are, it's, it's not about my moments, it's about their moments, you know, the people in the audience, you know.
You see, I used to think that every city had a Beatles. I used to think, oh, when I go to Seattle, then Jimi Hendrix or Nirvana will be massive over there, and it's not. You know, they are. They do like, the, obviously, you know, the proud of them, but the Beatles are international. You go anywhere. We played Japan and seen people that can't even speak English singing She Loves You. and In the, the past week, it's been International Beatle Week, so what's that been like for you? Oh, for me, it's just been, well, for me, it's a homecoming, so I haven't played International Beatle Week uh, with the Fab Four for eight years, so uh, coming back, it's been absolutely phenomenal, you know, just seeing the people, and it's quite funny because we played the show on Friday, and usually in America, we end with the locals, so if, you, if you're playing in the Midwest and you're playing in Illinois, you might say, is anyone from Indiana? And, and like, ah, a little few people, and you say, anyone from Wisconsin? <clears throat> a few more, and then you say, Illinois, and the last thing you say is, I was, ah, and we did the same at, at International Beat Week. We left Liverpool to last, and uh, Brazil, everyone went nuts, and then we said, anyone from Liverpool? And I think one bloke went, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it isn't what I remember the gigs being like, but obviously, yeah, it's a, it's a big influx of international people, so uh, it seemed to be represented better, I suppose, more uh, by a lot of the Brazilians, Southern American people were there, it was great. You know, I was, I, the more I've been doing this podcast, the more I've realised that the tourists we get, it, it's ridiculous how many people we get. If you go around some of the Beatles landmarks, you will find somebody from across the world. Of and course. It, it just tends to be more and more international people. A lot of Brazilians as well. A lot of Brazilians, yeah. a lot of Americans. You know, I just uh, recently did a magical mystery tour of my own city because uh, when I used to travel around, I still travel around the States and people will say, oh yeah, have you been on a magical mystery tour? Have you seen Strawberry Fields? And I'm like, no, because <laughs> I was never a tourist in my own town. So this week, uh, a friend of mine, Jackie Spencer, who's one of the tour guides, took me about. It seems that uh, Liverpool's investing its money in the right places. And I can only really judge that from the Beatles sites and stuff. I think it's, it's amazing, you know, uh, the relationship with the cruise lines coming in and uh, it's just way busier this, you know, this week, the week that I've, after Beatle week is way busier than I ever remember when I was a kid, you know. So I think it's good and uh, the only one letting us down is the uh, shelter, you know, in Penny Lane. <laughs> that's the only one that's like, needs a little revamp or everything else. I'm, I'm dead proud of Liverpool. And what were you actually here doing? So you obviously performed with the Fab Four, but, you know, did you have a chance to go and have a drink yourself? Did I have a chance to go and have a drink? I haven't stopped. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I didn't know how much we drunk. Like, I was always, you know, after a tour in the States, we'll do like two to three weeks, and then on the last night, I'll go and have a drink, and I'll, it'll remind me of being in England. You know, that's just the way we are. It's a pub culture, you know, when you meet your wife at pubs and you, you socialise with people. And before cell phones were around, you know, uh, it'd get hot. And everyone would just be in the pub. You wouldn't have to tell anyone where you were going. You would just go to the pub and everyone would be there. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, yeah, I've had a chance to catch up with people and uh, recharge a little bit on the accents because they all say I sound posh now. So you have to water it down a lot with the Americans. Otherwise, you don't get, you know, what you want. If you keep saying, hey, where's the lift? They'll be like, what, man? They're like, where's the lift? Like, you want to ride? And they're like, no, 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 where's the lift? And, and yeah, eventually you say elevator and you get what you want, you know. So I've been learning scouts again <laughs> so for you it's been getting to grips with liverpool again as yeah. well as coming to do a bit of work oh it's it's a bilingual language i'll be honest with you do you know what i mean it's funny so at the minute do you, do you have a residency in vegas what, what how does it work when you're over there we get um about six shows a year at the locals casinos so we're not on the strip we're at the orleans the south point we play at other places but each of those places has def different um ownership so um you can't play in one three months before you can't play anywhere else and then three months after that one so that's basically takes up your year now i can't play i can play the other one but i couldn't play it within the three months of that one is it is that all like contractually like you're, you're signed into it or? yeah well that's just venues in general uh, if you have a say you have a venue here in liverpool and you're going to play one venue 
a theatre venue, the Empire or something, and then you're going to play the next week in a venue two miles down the street, mm. that'll take away your income at your venue. So uh, just think of the amount of venues in Vegas. So each one is run. Uh, you know, there's there's a company that owns a lot of venues, but then there'll be one uh, that owns just a, just a couple of venues or casinos, and they don't want you playing in the other casinos because that goes against their income. So it's a it's a political minefield, Vegas. You know, you go there as a spectator or a tourist, and you just you don't understand that it, it, Vegas is massive. It's two million people, but it's a very small town in the uh, entertainment side of things. Everyone knows each other, so yeah. yeah, it's a minefield. So I was glad to get out and play all, all the rest of the world, to be honest. Where have you been? You name a place and I'll tell you where I've been. I'll tell you that we've done all 50 states. Oh, wow. Uh, we played in Hawaii. Hawaii and Alaska were the last two states to play in. We played in Japan, China. She played in China with uh, David Beckham. Had a uh, corporate show. And, we, and the agency got in touch with us and said, you know, you have to fly basically tomorrow to Macau, China. He's opening this British um, kind of themed week and he wants uh, the best tribute band to the, to the Beatles. And we went cool. Uh, but the best tribute band weren't available, so the Fab Four came in instead. And we, we flew over there, and it was, uh, you know, the guys got to meet David Beckham, and uh, I, I wasn't on the team, but it was our company. Yeah, so China, Japan, uh, Philippines, Guam, Barbados, England. We haven't played that much in Europe, to be honest. I think Europe, I think it's uh, the bootleg Beatles play around here. And I think they've kind of got it sewn up over here. And, and then they they very rarely get to play the States because we've got a lot of places over there. But, yeah, we played all over the world. Where do you think the, the most avid fans are? Avid fans? It depends because each audience is different. So you don't know according to their culture. For example, you play in America. As soon as you go, she loves you, yeah, 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 they start screaming for, like, the first three songs. And it doesn't matter how old they are. I, w I looked out one time and, uh, you know, we were up in, whatever, Montana, and I looked out and they were all, like, purple rinsed you know older people and I was like they're not gonna like this we're gonna have to switch down the volume but they went nuts so uh Canada a lot more reserved they'll be like they don't really kind of get into it until like Hey Jude which is like the last song you know so they they like to listen uh but the strangest audience I've ever played to is South Korea I was <coughs> we played the gig as soon as the gig was no one clapped Throughout the show, you finish the song, no one's clapping. You ask them to clap along, but they alternate to the Western audiences. They clap from start to finish, like they were like you know, like kids in a way, just like clap. Like most uh, scousers and British people and Americans, you go clap along. You go buy me love. Now we start singing, and after about five, they go forget that. You know, just forget doing it. But then the Koreans didn't. The Korean people were clapping from start, and as soon as the song finished, then they'd stop. You know, they were like a metronome, <laughs> <laughs> and then they all ran off. So we just played this theatre with a couple of thousand. And it's just like, and it disappeared. And we're like, oh, okay. And then what happened was we had a meet and greet and there was no one around. It's kind of like this, me and you, just me and you with no one around. <laughs> no one yet. Uh, but then they all came with gifts. So they all came with like oranges. Uh, what, someone brought me a lamp and it was massive. And I was like, I don't think they know that I've got to get on an airplane and get back. You know what I mean? Or, what are we doing with this? <laughs> what it was like what a, are we doing with this? What do we do with it? It, was like a big, it wasn't just like a desk lamp. It was like one of those, you know, one of those big massive lamps you have in your in your apartment or whatever. And I was like, I don't know what to do, but you accepted it, do you know what I mean? And you're just like getting loads of chocolate and they give you hot tea. They have hot tea in cans over there, which I think is amazing. How did it say hot? Well, they say like you're walking down the street. It's like a it's like a, um, a vendor machine. Yeah. But they're sat in like hot water, these cans. So when you walk through and you might want, uh, you know, a cup of tea with two sugars, it, there's a can with a cup of tea, you know, a sweet can and you just press it. I was showing the guys too and it comes out. 
and then you're just walking down the street with a hot can of tea. It's weird, but it's I think it's great. Yeah, yeah it's I mean? cool. Wouldn't mind them here. So what what is what's next for you now? Then are you, are you going to be going back to America? Yep. When are you heading back? Uh, I go back on Tuesday. So uh, I fly back and then I'm moving out. So I live in California, but I'm, I'm moving a couple of hundred feet down the street from where I am. So I'm looking forward to that when I get back and I'm jet lagged. First show after that, I think, is Milwaukee, Wisconsin. What would you like to come up? Your ideal thing to come up in, in the next? I would like to support Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds on a, on a tour because uh, I think uh, Oasis were the biggest... Bigger than that was the biggest tribute to the Beatles, by the way, not us. The Fab Four's second. Oasis is the number one Beatles tribute act, and then us. Um, yeah, I think I met Noel and I met uh, and I know Chris who plays with the band and uh, Russ. I met the guys, and um, I think he probably wouldn't do it because we'd be too cheesy for him. Do you know what I mean? But uh, we play real well, and we're quite cheap, Noel. If you're listening, see yourself coming back to Liverpool in the future. Would it maybe maybe this time next year? Would you be coming back for Beatles Week again? Do you think? Um, you have to wait to be invited. I think next year, Cavan City Tours are looking at um, doing uh, a big John year because he he was born in 1940, died in 1980, so 2020 is now 40 years after that. So I think they're looking at doing a big john year but uh, i might come back anyway because I'm, we're related now with this uh, charity over at strawberry field they're trying to open the, the gates and uh, i think the gate the gates are back open now aren't they? no the 14th oh, yeah, yeah, yeah the 14th yeah because yeah. laura um my co-host she went and she you know she, like she, she had a look around loved it absolutely loved it and it's great because now not only is it for the tourists to go and have a look but now you could really see yourself going and walking the dog oh, and yeah. then getting you know a cup of tea a cup of tea or whatever so yeah it's nice i think it's i think I'd be, i might be back because we're connected to that let me just put the website out there strawberryfieldliverpool.com if you want to donate or go and see what the guys are doing but the, i think the best thing about the actual strawberry fields being open is that they have this steps to work program for people with mild to moderate learning difficulties and they're actually getting the the kids into the workforce, you know, only 7% are uh, like disabled, what they call disabled, but, you know, they are able, they just haven't had the opportunity or the care, you know, and the attention. But uh, we, we met a few of the kids and, and the working and their social skills have gone up. And I think that's what J John apparently used to go there and write his songs and dream of the future and hang around the trees and escape from his aunt Mimi. And I think he'd be proud of what they've done over there. And I think it's good because you know, something's actually happening. You know, loads of people talk about change. Oh, yeah, I'd love to have change, but the people over at Strawberry Field are actually making a little bit of a change. And they actually made these strawberry fields, but we went over there, there was only one strawberry. And I was like, what? It's supposed to be strawberry fields? It's like strawberry bush. It's just one. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, no, it'll be all right. It'll come. Yeah, it'll, it'll grow. It'll grow next. By the time you come next year, if you come next year. So I might be back personally uh, because we're going to be promoting um, this particular charity all over the states so um you know we they might invite us back to do something special for that but uh yeah we won't be a special gig i'll be cool you know what i mean to come over yeah i think we're doing all right just want to tell everyone thanks for tuning in and uh and i'm proud. proud of you i'm proud of all of you don't uh here's the cheese factor don't say no just say yes unless someone's trying to get you in a car <laughs> you know what i mean do you want to get in the car say no then but overall um yeah don't you know don't put yourself in the way of uh, of getting better and improving your life. You know, just just say yes. You know what I mean? Well, thank you very much for saying yes and coming into our studio today. Oh, this is the best moment of my life so far. I'm going to remember this when I do my radio interviews in America. It's going to be like this is nothing compared to the one I just did for the Liverpool Echo. So thanks for having me, my love. Thank you very much. Take care.